All right, so this is a podcast that when you and I get together, we usually talk about sports. And I'm not going to lie to you, over the last little while, it's been tough trying to generate information about hockey without the aid of a you know guy like Rob Simpson or somebody that I bring in because I haven't been able to necessarily follow the Vancouver Canucks and the NHL as much as I would like to, or sports for that matter, because of this damn wrestling business that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, I'm not going to get into wrestling today. I was having a conversation with one of my children. And they said, you know, I stumbled across your podcast and it didn't really interest me. And it hurt me to hear that. But, you know, I also understand that neither of my kids are sportsaholics the way that, you know, I hope that anybody listening is. They said to me, why don't you do something where more people would listen? I mean, obviously, that's what everybody's trying to do here in the sea of podcasts around the world. I mean, forget the world. Just even in Vancouver, there's can't walk down the street without at least two people that you passed having a podcast of some sort. Maybe they're talking cooking, maybe they're talking sports, who knows, whatever. So my kid says to me, why don't you just pick 10 random topics? They don't have to be sports. I mean, you can have one or two that are sports, but why don't you just talk about stuff that everybody talks about? I mean, you think of the greatest sitcom in the history of television. And again, it's debatable, but I would always say that it's Seinfeld. What is Seinfeld about? everyday situations. So let's try this just for one show. And if it's good, maybe we'll do a bit more. I'm going to give myself kind of a PTI structure here where every three minutes we pick a new topic. You won't get me 10 minutes waxing poetically about one thing. These are going to be short bullet point thoughts on 10 questions that my kid helped me prepare. I hope you enjoy. This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's going to go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah. Hustle in the house. Yeah. Hustle in the house. Question number one. Tipping in restaurants. Is the percentage option too high? This is perfect. Actually, I got lots to say about this one. Yes, the tipping percentage that is offered to consumers is too high. It used to be in the old days, what, 5, 10, 15%? And if they were really good, you got 15% of your hard work. And I understand, as a guy that worked in the service industry for more than a decade, the more tipping that I can get, the better I'm going to be. Because I got to pay the house. I've got to pay my tip pool. I got to pay a whole bunch of people before I finally get that percentage to me. I used to work at the keg in North Vancouver. And let's say I made $100 in tips. I'd end up taking home about 65 because the house got some, my busboy got some, and then eventually I'd walk out of there with what? 60, 70 bucks. Let's just round up. But today, to go to venues, and I'm not going to pick venues. I'm just going to talk, I guess, off the top of my head on this one. You start at 15 Now it's 15, 18, 21. I was at a high-end restaurant, not trying to brag, but I was a high-end restaurant where the first option was 18%. 18% of a bill that is already well in excess of $100. So you're going from 150 to 180, I guess. Would that be the math on it? It just seems like if I want to go above and beyond, and I know there is an option to do this on the pin pad, but if I want to go above and beyond, I want to have that. I don't want have them having to suggest like, oh, by the way, if it was really good, 20, 21%, like 15 is a pretty good tip. 
in today's day and age. And don't give me the whole stuff about, well, you know, gas prices and cost of living. Tipping, and you have to remember this, it is not mandatory. It is expected and appreciated, but it is not mandatory. If I bring a big group in, then yes, it is mandatory. It's right on my bill. But I just think percentage-wise, gosh, man, if I'm walking into a place and my options are 15, 18, 21 or above, that's a little presumptuous. That's presumptuous because what your worst option is, is actually what should be, or at least in the past, had been the best option. So the best has become the worst as everybody tries to get a few more points at the end of the night. Now, I will say this. There, I could have this conversation all day. I won't because we're coming up on our first buzzer here. But to beat the buzzer, there are also certain places that ask for tips that I don't think should ask for tips. And I won't get into names, but fast food and secondary industries outside of the quote-unquote service industry, I'm just not there. If it took you two seconds to pour my cup of coffee, I shouldn't get 15 more percentage points on my bill because I want to help everybody out. I'll tip you more if you take a little tax off of what you're asking me in the first place. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. Okay, so that's what it is. Three-minute bullet points on nine more topics. Are you going to stick around for the next? Uh, Let me tell you what is coming up on this show, just so that you understand and don't have to wait for a, a good one five or six down. We're going to talk about the Royal Canadian Museum. We're going to talk about have you ever had a burner account? I'll explain what a burner account is shortly. Have you ever wished that there was something that you weren't allergic to? And do you fix your selfies with apps? And if you do, how often? That and much more coming up before the end of this show. All right, point number two. Let's get right to it because it's a hot topic here in the province of British Columbia. That damn Royal Canadian Museum. Over in Victoria, John Horgan announcing that they're going to put in nearly, what is it, $800 million to, I guess, refurb the Royal Canadian Museum. First and foremost, as a guy that went to school in Victoria for three years, mind you, it was kindergarten, grade one and grade two, I understand the value of having a museum, keeping artifacts, telling the story of your community, of your province, of your country in Toronto. The Royal Ontario Museum, also a big deal. And if memory serves me correct, within the last, what, 10, 15 years, I think they got a pretty major retrofit as well. But here's the problem. Read the room. John Horgan right now, coming out of a pandemic, when gas prices have never been higher. It is earth-shattering how expensive gasoline is right now. So in the face of everybody trying to cut, 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 now, all of a sudden, we're just going to say, oh, we got this you know, change in our pocket of $800 million that is going to go to the Royal Canadian Museum. I don't know how you feel about it. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Rob Fay, R-O-B-F as in Frank A-I, and let me know how you feel about it. But I just think it's bad. And it was a gift to the BC Liberals because now, all of a sudden, Kevin Falcon, who's just taken up that position as a leader of the opposition, stepping forward saying, ooh, this is juicy. Because he can see on social media and the public backlash that this is a golden opportunity for him to step to the forefront, dig his feet in, and have a platform that people be like, you know what, that sounds more like my guy. It's amazing to me every, what is it, six to seven years? How, let's go back a little bit. How poor the BC Liberals were 
and how the NDP and John Horgan was such a breath of fresh air. Now you fast forward and people are all over John Horgan for record gas highs, doing things like this, turning his back initially on the World Cup. I mean, if you want to talk a little sports, all kinds of stuff. But I would say this, man, that's one job I would never really want to get into. People think it's a public service, and it is. But, man, you're just waiting to get the backlash. And even when you're right, there's always going to be somebody that says that you're wrong. It's not for me. But anyways, I just think right now, if you're going to put $800 million towards something, do it towards public housing. Do it towards, you know, getting our nurses some support so that they don't have to work 16 hours a day. Something where it feels as if it's not just, I mean, be honest. Let's let's cut right to the shit. When is the last time you've gone to the museum? And if you went to the museum, when's the second time you went to the museum? Like, this is great if you're coming over from England and are spending a few of your quid to go and see something that reminds you of the history of our great country, but there's real-time problems going on right now. Like, real-time problems. And I just don't think $800 million in the face of it while the storm's going on is the right thing to do. All right, topic three, we're going to switch gears completely. This is the beauty of this podcast is it goes 10 different ways and you don't know what's coming around the corner. Uh, I had to recently take my serving at right card because I had to get a liquor license for an upcoming wrestling show. And in order to get the liquor license, I had to make sure that somebody on staff had their serving at right card. Serving at right is this program that ensures that if you are involved in alcohol, whether you're a bartender, a server, an owner, whatever, that you have gone through the course, the provincially regulated course that makes sure that you are up to snuff on all the policies and procedures that goes with the responsibility of serving alcohol to the public. So I had previously had this, but I got it like a long time ago, 2009 or 2010, sometime in and around there. So anyways, fast forward to just the other night and I had to redo my serving it right. Now, I don't know about you, but in grade nine or grade 10, once I did that French test, once I did that math test, and I was in the clear, I was never going back. Like, I was never going to go back and redo that shit. Trigonometry, it's for somebody else. Est-ce que je peux at the salle de bain? I don't even know if I said that right. Can I go to the bathroom, please? That's the one thing that I got from my French class over all those years in high school. J'ai mangé de sandwich. I can eat a sandwich as well. Something like that. So anyways, imagine this, sitting down at your desk, and all of a sudden... They make you take this three-and-a-half-hour course. Well, that's how long it took me to get my serving it right. Well, come on, man. I've owned a restaurant. I've worked in the service industry for more than a decade, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. Surely, I'm going to be able to do this one. I failed not once, but twice. You get three kicks at the can before they say, you know what, come back another time. I couldn't believe it. I was watching these videos and taking these questions and doing the surveys, and I was getting by. But I couldn't believe it. Then all of a sudden the test comes up at the end of this three hours. And you're just like, oh my God. First time I got 76%. I think you need 80 something to pass if memory serves me correct. Second one, I was in the 70s again. So here I am at my desk at our Vancouver-based offices down here on West Georgia. And I've got one more crack to get my serving it right test done correctly or I don't get the liquor license for our upcoming show, or at least somebody else would have to take the test, and then they would take on that responsibility. It just made me realize that, sure, 
maybe at one point in your life you passed your test, you did everything right, everything was good, but you got to take, take refreshers once in a while. I was mystified at the questions that I got wrong. I couldn't believe it was so obvious, and yet I got them wrong. Now, is it because I got stage fright when I write tests? No. It's because, again, if you haven't taken your driving test in 15 years, I'd be curious to know if you would get perfect on the test just because you got it right once. It was a very sobering, no pun intended, uh, slap of the face that every once in a while you should go back and just refresh yourself on the basics. So yeah, I got my serving it right. And on May the 28th, we will be at Terry Fox Theater. Uh, NEW Wrestling will be to serve alcohol and have people enjoy professional wrestling in no particular order. Rob, how do you know your employer is not that into you? That's a great question. And you know what? It's a question I think more of us need to ask. Now, I'm not going to get philosophical here. I'm going to use an example because, damn it, I think they're important. So right now, I'm a broadcaster with a pro sports team in the city. Now, no, it's not the Canucks. It's not the Canadians. It's not the Whitecaps. It's just a sports team. But there is no priority on the broadcast. There's no person that's reaching out proactively and saying, hey, Rob, here's what's coming down the pipe. Here's what we got you know, on the horizon. And it makes me realize that my employer has bigger fish to fry. They're just not that into me. And they might just not be into the position either. Certain organizations in pro sports are all about their broadcast. They know that if you get the message out to the masses, you're probably on the right track that that person is going to amplify what you're doing. But certain people within organizations maybe don't listen to you. And that's a hard thing for a broadcaster to accept because broadcasters assume that everybody listens. Like surely you and all your friends are listening to this podcast right now and you're all going to trade notes later on about every little detail, every nook and cranny of this this broadcast. I can't even say it with a straight face. So here's the challenge that you as a broadcaster or in any career have to realize is does your employer... Does your supervisor buy into what you're doing? Are they working with you because they simply need to to check boxes so that they can keep their job? Or do they genuinely care about what you bring to the table? The question again, how do you know your employer is not that into you? I can tell you this. If they don't check in on you, some people will say, well, that's cool. I don't want to deal with my manager. I just want to do my job. No, 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 no. You want managers that check in. You want managers that ask questions and are proactive and ask if you need help or, hey, I listened to your podcast the other night. I really liked when you brought this up. Those things count. Like those things matter. And if they're not doing those things, it's okay to go to your supervisor and be like, hey, are you cool? Like I'm working really hard here and I just want to make sure that you're interested in what it is that I'm doing. A good manager will not take offense to that. If anything, a good manager might apologize to be like, gee, you know, I'm sorry, I'm really busy, but tell me a bit about it. Like, what do you got coming up? Because again, guys and girls that report to superiors usually report to superiors. Like there's a pyramid and they might just not have a lot of time for you because they're looking upward, trying to get stuff done for the person above them. But that said, it is completely okay for you to ask your supervisor if they know what you're doing if they understand what you're doing, and then you can ask them if they appreciate what it is that you are doing. Communication is such a big piece of the puzzle. And when you as an employee are doing things that are appreciated or at least identified, 
it makes all the difference in the world. When I go home and I know that the people that I work with have seen my work and appreciate my work, even if they critiqued it and told me to change some things, the fact that they know I exist makes my life better. Nothing's worse than going to work, punching the clock, nobody identifying anything. They simply say, okay, that guy was here. I got to pay him every two weeks. Whatever. You don't want to work in those situations. You want to work where you're valued, appreciated, respected. And if you're not getting that, you need to realize that your employer might just not be that into you. The changing of sports broadcasting outside of play-by-play. Can you still get into this business? That's a great question. That's a really good question. Um, Long and the short of it is when I look right now and I see Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Those are Hall of Famers, or at least great, iconic NBA players. Real tough to get on a panel if you don't have experience. Real tough to get on a panel unless you're almost a Hall of Famer at this point. Or a guy that had some major service time, be it in hockey, football, basketball, whatever the sport is. I would say to a kid that is in school right now, learn how to do this. Learn how to start from scratch and build your own brand. One of the great stories that I came across, and I actually, I'm very lucky that I got to tell Dan Murphy this, but very early in my career, I was under the assumption that, you know, I'd have the tripod guy, I'd have the television shooter, the camera guy, I'd have all these people around me, and all I'd have to do is show up, look good, ask a few questions, and away we go. Dan Murphy was one of the first guys, at least in Vancouver that I remember, where when they consolidated, Dan became the editor. He became the guy with the tripod and the camera that he had to frame up himself and and do all of the stuff to get it back to Sportsnet. I would say in this day and age, and I know I'm going down two different forks in the road here, but I would say if you're not a play-by-play guy, real, real tough to be an analyst because these former athletes are well-spoken, they've been there, and a lot of the fans want to hear from somebody that's been on the ice or been on the field or been on the pitch. Like, I'm sorry, if you're a stat nerd, you have to realize that I can get that information. What I can't get is from somebody that's been on the mound in Game 6 of the American League Championship Series, staring down the barrel of a bat of a guy that hit 300 that series. And again, how am I going to learn that from stats? Stats can only tell you so much. Experience is king. And when you're watching a game, you don't sit there with a pad of paper and a pen just with a calculator identifying all these crazy numbers and trajectories. You want to just hear experiences. So that's why these guys are so friggin' valuable right now. They're so good at analyzing games. Think of football right now. Like you got Tony Romo, former quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Troy Aikman, former quarterback. You've got a guy like Tom Brady who's got $275 million waiting for him when his career's over so that he can get behind the microphone and tell you the experience. You think Tom Brady's going to get into analytics? You think Tom Brady's going to go to school to learn how to be a better broadcaster? No. He's got the experience. So this is where you have to find a new lane. Because again, outside of play-by-play, it's going to be extraordinarily hard to get into this business. Even in Vancouver, you got Corey Hirsch, who you know didn't light up the world for the Vancouver Canucks, but played for the Vancouver Canucks. Kevin BX on Hockey Night in Canada. Kelly Rudy, Hockey Night in Canada. You've got, I mean, gosh, everywhere you go. So find a different way to tell the story. That would be my recommendation, because I don't know if it's going to be uh, outside of play-by-play uh, in the broadcast booth. 
All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, waiter comes to the table with a bottle of wine, pours a tester. Do you know how to act the role even if you're not into wine? <laughs> let's get to this one quickly. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. All right, so I'm not a sommelier by any stretch of the imagination, and it would say that I should know a little bit about wine, considering at one point my wife and I, Christina, uh, owned an Italian restaurant where we had a variety of wines, but I was never a guy that was really, really well-versed on it. I could get by, act the part, and sell a couple of bottles. But let's say you're on a date, and you're not exactly the wine guy, and all of a sudden, or the wine girl, if you're listening, and all of a sudden, the waiter comes up, he's you know wearing the suit or whatever it is, and he comes over, and he's got the napkin over his right wrist, and comes over and pours just a little drip, a little couple drops into the wine glass, because he wants to see what you think of the wine before he pours you and your partner a full glass, or maybe it's even just yourself, who knows. Do you play the part? You know what I mean? Do you swish it around in the glass? Do you hold it up to the light so that you can see the colors that are shining through? Do you swish it around in your mouth? Because that's what you see on TV. Or that's what the big guys do. <laughs> I hate that. I, I would say if there's one thing at a restaurant that I would be okay if they didn't do is that moment in the wine process. Maybe just ask, would you like to have a taste before I pour the bottle? Because the reality is, is if they gave me that option, I'd be like, nah, we're good. Look good in the menu. I think we're ready to rock. I was just in Victoria a couple of weeks ago for Mother's Day with my wife. And we were sitting down at a wonderful Italian restaurant and fantastic service. Il Terrazzo, I think it's called. Anyways, and he did that. And I said, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I'm not a big wine guy. It just sounds, I sounded good because it had some cherries and some summer fruit and what have you. And I thought it was good. And he says, and he said, you know what? I appreciate you telling me this. And I was just like, listen, man, I would much rather just take your word for it. If you can say to them, listen, I will defer to your expertise or at least offer your partner the opportunity to swish it around in their mouths. Maybe that's better because for me, when that happens, I've got no interest in it. I'm faking it 100%, like 200%. You bring a bottle of wine to the table and, and, and do you have the balls to actually swish it around in your mouth as that guy that doesn't know a whole lot be like, mm, no, maybe take this one back because he's already opened the bottle. And I can tell you as a guy that worked in, in the restaurant industry, nothing's worse than opening a bottle and then having to take it back because the guy's like, eh, it's not for me. Waiter comes to the table, pours tester, do you act the role? Uh, to make this short because we've got to move on, yes, I totally act the part. Name something you wish you weren't allergic to. Huh. So when I was a kid, first thing that I was allergic to, I was a bubble baby, by the way. I was in a bubble in and out for the first year. A lot of health challenges. Very loving mom took care of me. The hospital took care of me back in Ontario. And here I am today doing this podcast with you. But anyways, one of the first things that I remember being allergic to was penicillin, which led me to being allergic to erythromycin as well. The whole Sin family uh, just doesn't sit well with me. Uh, penicillin's a really bad one. You know, I went, oh, it was a couple of years ago. I went for uh, an MRI and they inject the dye into you. The second 
the die hit it. You see it coming through the tube, the dark stuff. The second it hit my uh, arm, man, I was thrown up. I was I was puffy. I thought I was going to die on the table. The lady, the technician, was freaking out. So it found out later in life that I was allergic to iodine. I'm not really allergic to a lot of foods, but I am allergic to medicines. And the other one that I wish that I wasn't allergic to is Advil, ibuprofen. I mean, you think of how many times in your life you could use a tablet or two to take off the edge, to take off a little bit of the pressure, the pain of a hard day's work or maybe a sore back. I can't touch that stuff. And uh, it makes my teeth itch. It makes my eyes water, my eyes itch. It's just one of those things that I really wish. But you know, my mom, it's, it's an interesting one. I don't know if this happened to you at any point in your life. Used to eat. She used to eat seafood all the time. And about halfway through her life, ate some sh- some shellfish, I guess some shrimp, and uh, blew up. So I guess you can get uh, a midlife allergy, like something that maybe in childhood you couldn't. And again, I'm not a doctor, but I know that she used to love eating, uh, in particular, shrimp, and now can't touch it. Like she's just not even can't even get close to it. I wish some days that I was allergic to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was allergic to drive through. You know, this is one thing I will say. As you get older, it's a little tougher to take weight off. I have learned this in the last three to four years. And not just because of the COVID, but just, um, man, you have that young metabolism. Enjoy every second of it. Because it's a gift from the gods. Because eventually your body does start to slow down. And again, I still got a lot of energy in these legs. But man, just it, you got to work. You got to work really hard. And you know, my biggest vice right now, because I work as hard as I do, the proverbial house of hustle is that, um, yeah, I see a drive through and I'm like, God, I could eat and get this done in five minutes and be back on the road and back in the game. I got to slow down. I got to eat healthier. But yeah, if I ever have a sore back, the one thing that I wish that I wasn't allergic to would be uh, ibuprofen. There you go. I bet you didn't know that about the old guy. Fix your selfies with apps, and if so, how often? So I think we all know that we do. For those of us who have anything beyond an iPhone 5, and that's going back a ways now, now that you know that there's apps out there that can take that zit off your face, that can take the bags from it into your eyes, that can make sure that you're a little more tanned if you're looking a little starched, hell yeah, we do it. I mean, I don't want to overdo it. And I think if you're on a dating app, it should almost not be allowed. What is it called? Catfishing? (laughs) It's such a great name. Uh, Catfishing. It's basically where your picture looks phenomenal and then you show up at the door and it's not really what you thought it was going to be. What would happen in that situation? Somebody shows up at the door and you think they're going to be a goddess or a god and shows up and they're just like the dude next door, missing a tooth that they fixed in that stupid app so that you wouldn't notice it. Do you shut the door? Like, would you have the guts that somebody comes to the door for a first date and you're like, uh, no, I'm good. Or do you still go on the date? I think think apps are unfair. I think if you want to make yourself a little bit skinnier, if you had a cut and you wanted to take out a, a blemish, sure. But if you are really doing it, like you're whitening your teeth, you're taking out the bags under your eyes, all that kind of stuff, man, just be who you are. I used to use the apps all the time. And I look back at some of the pictures that I posted and I'm like, dude, every single person that looked at that picture probably zoomed in a little bit and they're like, give me a break. 
Like, give me a break. I know you. Your teeth aren't that white. I know you. You're chubbier than that. I know you. And I know that that jacket has a logo on it. Like, again, if you work for a company like New Era and you're taking pictures wearing Nike clothes, I understand why you might go into an app and remove the the swish. But if it comes to you, just be proud of who you are. Nobody out there is perfect. This is the problem is we see so many apt photos that have been adjusted, enhanced, treated, that we have this misconception of what beautiful really is. And again, I'm not going down that road. It's not all peace, love, all that stuff. But I I really do believe for my kids, for example, who are both actively on social media, there's probably some pressure there. Like there's probably some pressure to make sure that every photo is adjusted, every photo is perfect, and not just lighting, but how they look in that lighting. And that's sad. I, I think some of my greatest pictures from my childhood are me acting stupid and goofy and, yeah, my shirt's untucked or my hair looks like shit. I don't care. You can't have a photo booth on Facebook and all of your pictures are pristine. You got to be human once in a while. But, again, that's just me. And maybe because I've gotten through the teens and the 20s and the early 30s and the pressures of the media, now I just don't worry about it as much as I used to. But the question is, do I fix my selfies with apps? I did. I did a whole lot. I don't do it hardly ever now. Um, But back in the day, absolutely. Because there is a pressure that comes with that, especially when you're in the media. Have you ever had a burner account? Be honest. Okay, so for those who don't know, and I'm probably born under a rock at this point, a burner account or a burner phone number is a secondary phone number. Now, in early days, uh, burner accounts were associated with somebody that would be cheating, promiscuous, you know, like calling his uh, second girlfriend, if you will, and didn't want to get caught on his main phone number. There's a lot of apps out there that will cover it up for you as well. There's these locked... uh, Apps where if you have photos, you can put them in there. Phone numbers, you can get a new phone number within two minutes on the app store. It's uh, it's real easy. I think even one of the apps is called Burner Account. Like, I don't think they hide it anymore. Um, never been able to lay claim to that publicly. Like, I've never gone with a Burner Account to try and find a promiscuous relationship. But I will be honest. And yes, I have had a Burner phone number to call in under an alias to other sports radio shows. I know. (laughs) Well, because most of the people know my phone number and I don't want to call. I'll hear a topic sometimes. Now, I'm not in sports. Now, your question you're asking is when's the last time you did it? I'm not going to answer that. But what I will say is that I think I'm listening to sports radio. Most of the people in this community know my phone number, at least in the sports sector, because I was a media relations guy for so long. And even though that number's changed, And maybe not everybody who used to know my number knows it. Enough still do. I just want to clarify that. But anyways, I'll hear a topic on the radio. I'm like, these fucking guys. Like, excuse my mouth. They just, they're driving me nuts. So yeah, I'll text in. Hell yeah, I'll text in on my burner. And I'll see like, what are you guys talking about? And sometimes they'll read it. And sometimes, and but if they read it and they disagree with it, now, now you've hit the, the blood pressure point with me. I don't get it. I won't get into the state of media. It's not for me. And if anything, if they've gotten my goat, good on them. Like, I respect them for that. But man, oh, man, have I had a burner account to call it a sports radio? Absolutely. Uh, 
here's another thing. If you wanted to go a little bit further, if I just talk about burner accounts, that includes Twitter, that includes Facebook, that includes all of it. Like, do you have a secondary account just to sneak around? Of course, everybody does. Everybody has a second account. Now, maybe it's just for their family. Maybe it's just for their photos. But don't think for a second that your loved one or your kids have one solitary account. And don't be surprised if those people in your lives don't tell you about that second account. Just saying. And again, not everybody uses burners for negative energy. Not everybody uses burners for evil. Sometimes people have a secondary phone just because maybe they're shy. Maybe they don't want to call into sports radio and be identified. Or maybe they don't want to have their number going out there bleached to everybody. I I get it. Burner has a bad connotation to it. If you're using it for evil, then shame on you. But there's a lot of people out there that have second accounts, second information, so that they can be more of a fly on the wall than the ringleader. And I, I hate to say it, I can live with that. Final question. You do know that Twitter represents less than 5% of the population when it comes to sports. Oh, this is a great one to finish up on. Yes, I, I know that now. But I can tell you this. For example, in Vancouver, they, there's this thing. For those who aren't from Vancouver listening to this, uh, and thank you for being here for question 10, by the way. There is this Canuck Twitter that has this collection of fans. Some of them have burner accounts. You can bet your ass on that. Um that really dictate the ebb and flow of what is said and thought of on social media and in particular Twitter, obviously Canuck Twitter. I would say this, there are a lot of people out there and I mean a legion of fans out there that don't even think to go on Twitter to have their opinions shared or where they get their opinions, none of it. Some go to sports radio, yeah, some go to social media, but a lot of people just talk. There's not a lot of people in my office that A, follow the Vancouver Canucks, but B, uh, get caught up in that 5%. So when you get into these arguments and when you see these people that are just begging for more followers and begging for the attention, just realize that that is a very small piece of the pie when it comes to sports. It's a vocal 5%. There's no doubt about it. And if you live, breathe, eat, and die with Twitter, then yeah, it feels like it's everybody, but it's not. Like, again, if that's the community that they want to create on sports uh, media in the Twitter sphere, let them have it. Let them go back and forth and bitch and moan and talk and gripe and praise and preach and do whatever. It doesn't matter. Same thing with the Blue Jays. There's a whole legion of people that go on to different websites or social media, but that is such a minuscule, small blip on the radar from what is truly going on in the big stretch. Like, I, I learned this in sports radio. Like, when I was working at TSN, name drop, uh, there were a lot of people that would not listen to me but follow us on Facebook or wouldn't dare go on Facebook or Twitter, but they just wanted to turn on the radio because they were driving rig up and down the coast or listening from the mill. There's a few that would know what I'm talking about there. But uh, in any event, I just think it's one of those things where you got to take a deep breath Realize that even though there's a handful of people out there, uh, that's all it is. It's just a handful of a much larger piece of the pie. And a lot of those people are probably thinking what you're thinking. And you know what I like about not going on social media for a couple of days? Is I don't hear the constant trade rumors and trade speculation. And this is what these guys should do. And these guys are bumbling fools because of that. You know, getting out of sports media, 
I will say this, has allowed me to start to become a fan again. You get so caught up in the transactions and trying to be first and trying to be right. Ah, I went to a Vancouver Canadiens game last night, didn't bring a scorebook. I sat there, I ate a mac and cheese with um, some pulled pork on top of it. God, it was good. It was not low calorie. Had a Caesar, a keg Caesar, and uh, later on had a little bag of candies. Didn't have to work. Sat there and watched the game. And a couple of the players hit balls down the line. Vancouver Canadians in a two-run rally. And I was cheering with everybody else. You forget to cheer every once in a while when you're in the media. And it's good when you can. It's a lot of fun. All right, so there it is. Sports Bar Radio. A little different. Oh, by the way, bonus question. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to answer this one. If you had four good friends but could only keep two... Do you know which two you would choose to keep? Not answering that one. All right. Thank you to all my friends at Equity Guru. Now, there's no fucking way I'd answer that question. I want to say thanks to all my friends at Equity Guru, Chris Perry, Galen, uh, Daria Grave. Thank you all for being uh, so helpful, so accommodating. And I look forward to seeing you guys at a wrestling show or maybe just cross the paths with you. And to you listening, thank you for making me a part of your day. Sports Bar Radio is going to take a bit of a different look over the next couple of weeks. Let me know what you thought of this format today. I'd love to hear from you. I am Rob Fay. This has been Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. Let's talk again soon. <laughs>